Hi, welcome to the Urban Lifestyle Report, and I'm your host, Carolyn Morris Walker. Project Urban Lifestyle Report, and I'm your host, Carolyn Morris Walker. Today, I'm doubly delighted to have with me a mother and daughter duo who are both tech professionals. Christine is a senior director with SAC in the financial and risk area, and her daughter, Sharla, is a project manager with a pharmaceutical company, and they are my guests today on this platform to exemplify Blacknificence and Black excellence. I had the pleasure of meeting Sharla and Christine at the Black Professional Tech Network event this winter, and I was so delighted to see a mother and daughter in this area. So Christine and Sharla, welcome and thank you for taking the time to engage in this conversation. Urban Lifestyle Report is a place and space to showcase the many talents of Black and African people who are often invisible, not acknowledged, not celebrated in popular media for their talents, achievements, accomplishments that contributes positively to the community and the world at large. So I'm always delighted to meet people who are doing amazing and outstanding work in the community in so many areas. So, Charlotte and Christine, you fall into this category. I'm so pleased to have you here. And thank you for being here. Thank you so much. Yes, thank you for having us, Carolyn. Thanks for having us. Yes, and uh, we've been trying to get together for a while to get this done. But with COVID, we've had to use the technology to connect. So I'm really happy that we could do that. Christine, I'm going to start with you. Can you give us some background about what you do and how you got started in this industry, tech industry? Sure. So um, what I do right now is I work with executives to understand their major pain points and how our technology can basically help them with their pain points, how we can solution a program or one of our solutions, bring it to the table and talk about how we can bridge the gap and help them to be more strategic, help them to optimize their business processes. We talk about how to automate their business processes. And going back to your earlier question about how I got started, it's really a funny story because when I was in high school, I didn't really care for (laughs) computers. But how I got started was I was working for a company called Motorola and they were implementing SAP. And my boss came to me one day and and said that I would be a good candidate to be part of the project. And I jumped at the opportunity because it was a new software application at the time. And that's how my career started. And I enjoyed being part of the project. And then from there, my my career blossomed um, into more opportunities within SAP. And what is SAP? What does that mean for the lay people out there? 
<laughs> Good question. It stands for System Application Product. It's a German-made product. It was actually IBMers. German IBMers got together and they came up with this logical SAP program. It's basically best business practices. It's standard processes that a lot of companies struggle with. They end up customizing their systems. But SAP comes with these pre-delivered processes and says, why customize? We have the solution for you. Just plug it in and you can be able to go end-to-end with your business processes. So that's what SAP stands for, System Application Product. Ah, excellent. And Shala, tell us a bit about your background as a project manager for a pharmaceutical company. Sure. Actually, the pharmaceutical company is actually quite new. I've been working with an insurance company for quite some time, for over eight years. Started off kind of outside of the IT world. So I I fell into it accidentally and and ended up falling in love with it. But uh, the types of projects that I worked on for the insurance company varied. So where where I've got that introduction into IT was working on web developments and the the mobile app developments. And I got to step into that world and and looking into our internal systems. So we don't don't have SAP, but um, some of the other type of software that we have, upgrading that and looking at newer solutions, better solutions. That was kind of my role, you know, working with IT and also business to find out what is the problem and how can we solve that problem using technology. Um, and so recently I did land a role with a pharmaceutical company. So it's going to be a complete different environment for me, but I'm excited to explore that journey. I know that there's some things that they're looking at as far as evolving their technology. And so that's kind of where I'm going to be putting in my value in that company. So I'm very excited about that. And yeah, how I started, same thing as my mom. <laughs> it's kind of funny. We're, we're both the same. I, I fell into it accidentally and, and actually fell in love with it. It started off as just being a part of a project and just really enjoying the work involved in that. That's very interesting. And as a child, Charlotte, were you aware of what your mom did? Like, did you have take your kids to work day kind of thing, Christine, where you take Charlotte to work with you and she could see what you did? Or how do you think there was an influence there? I don't know if I did a formal take your child to work, but I do remember bringing Charlotte into the office a few times. <laughs> I think it's subliminal. I think as a, and of course, Charlotte can answer for herself, but from my perspective, I think she just kind of saw me in that role and subliminally, she probably just picked up on it and started to see the enjoyment of that type of a role, uh, working the business. And it's a very diverse role, right? So you get to work with different levels of the organization. You get to to work with with people, users, and then you get to work with the technology implementers. You get to even sometimes be a part of the testing. So I think just bringing her to work a couple of times may have had a, a bit of a factor. One quick story, I was doing a project in the U.S. and I actually brought both my daughters, so Charlotte's one of two, I brought both my daughters down to be part of that project. So I don't know if maybe that influence had uh, something to do with it as well. I don't know, Charlotte, what do you think? Yeah, I definitely, I could say as a child, I didn't really understand what my mom did. I just knew that she got to wear really nice clothes and work in a really nice office and brought home the latest technology. We had the, the computer with the, you know, webcam and the scanner and we, we had the latest of everything. So of course, being materialistic as a child, I was like, oh, I want to do what my mom does and she gets to travel. I do remember the take your kid to work day. Again, I, don't, I can't remember if it was formal or not, but I do remember 
sitting in the office and I remember my mom trying to explain what she did and I, I couldn't really understand, but I, I just kind of, you know, brushed off as, oh, okay, she, she builds computers some way, somehow. So that was my understanding as a child. But yeah, I, th- I think I just wanted to model after the independence and, and how smart my mother was. That's what I was striving for, really. I love that. That's beautiful. Thank you, sweetie. <laughs> that wasn't scripted, by the way. <laughs> The beauty of this is that none of it's scripted. It's very organic. Yeah, very straight from the heart conversation. So that's so lovely. So I was looking up some statistics and I found that men are four times more likely to be in tech jobs. And it's also said that women only make up 2.1% of the total number and total blacks in tech is 4.27%. But I couldn't find any data in terms of black women represented in these roles. So in your, I guess, networking or when you're working with external stakeholders or even internal stakeholders, are there many black women at the table or black men at the table? And Charlotte, I'll ask you to speak to that first. That's, yeah, no, <laughs> no, definitely not. Even in my team, I'm, I'm the only black female on my team. I'm, I'm the only black individual on my team, actually. And, and we have a team of over 55 people. So it's not unusual, you know, especially in the IT side, or even sitting with external internal stakeholders, you don't see a lot of black men or women at the table at all. So yeah, that's my experience. I don't know if for my mom, it's different. But in my world, that's what I've seen. In my world, it's a very small percentage. I know that we have companies who are striving to increase that because there's definitely a pool of resources, but there isn't a lot at the table, especially as you move up the executive channels, you're not going to see as many, uh, but there is a, a drive to to see where we can go with with all of these things that are happening, Black Lives Matter, and, and we're now starting to pay attention to the stats and, and trying to change how you know, how many Blacks are at the table. So I'm, I'm part of a few organizations who are working on that. So yeah, we're, we're hoping to change. We're hoping to see a change. Yes, because I know that there's a bit of a resistance. And now I suppose the resist- resistance has, I guess, been tempered with all that's going on with Black Lives Matter in terms of collecting race-based statistics. I feel like that's really important because it gives a clear picture of who is where in your organization. And without them, we are really not addressing solutions because even in the role that I'm in, we do have programs like mentoring programs for underrepresented groups and a real push for inclusion and diversity. And yet, when we look at senior management leadership, the diversity there is very lacking. So I'm glad to hear that organizations are making a more concerted effort rather than say, talk about diversity and inclusion to actually show it. Yes. And there's, I don't know if you have time for me to really respond on 
what I believe is happening. And I I think I'm just stating the obvious, but there's two sides to it. There's already a large pool of people or resources that are in tech that are looking for opportunities and they're not getting those opportunities. And unfortunately, some of those people end up changing their careers because they give up. That's one side. But the other side of it it is in in regards to the STEM programs that are currently in place. There's There's a low percentage of Blacks, especially Black males, in the STEM programs. And that's another organization that I'm working with a couple of colleagues of mine to try to see if we can change the narrative there as well. Because when it comes to our younger generation, there's a huge decline in how many Black students are actually going into those into those areas of, of STEM and tech being one of them. So we need to really get the younger generation interested in tech. And Charlotte, what's your take on that? I definitely see, you know, how this will impact the next generation or the generations to come. I know even for for my children, talking to them about, like, I know even for my children, they're not in high school yet, but there's, I'm starting to see programs like coding programs or, or camps for them to really understand technology at a different level than they know today, which I didn't have that growing up, that wasn't a thing. I wish it was. I'm even, you know, even my younger daughter, she's in a robotics after school program, or she was before COVID. And so these type of things, I think of, it's interesting because it introduces these kids to more than just the basics that they're learning in school and things that will actually make them start to think about, like Christine, like my mom said, these higher paying careers where they're really going to know when they're at that level, what they want to do and what programs they want to, that they want to enroll in, in college and university. I, I didn't have that. I wasn't really quite sure what I wanted to do. I just know I need to be good in school, but I didn't really have, um, I didn't really know what I was interested in until I was an adult and I started working. So I think that this will really prepare the younger generation to start thinking about these things. And ultimately for our community, they're going to be in higher positions in the the next few years, right? Because they're already going to know, they're already going to have a path set for them. They're already going to be introduced to these things and have these tools. So I think that that's awesome. I think that that's going to make a, a world of a difference in the next, you know, I know it's going to take some time, but um, I would say like the next generation, we're definitely going to start to see changes and start to see more black people at higher levels, uh, higher up the, the corporate ladder. So I think that's great. Absolutely. And I think another area that I'm certainly uh, I've become more aware of is also even learning how to code. Um, my understanding, you know, that coding is like the new reading, writing and arithmetic. And that's something that more children will have access to that makes them very self-sufficient in terms of setting up, I guess, websites and understanding the coding language. I have, I did a coding class once. What was interesting, I found it very intuitive on how to build a website, but I, it was a bit of a one-off, so I didn't quite continue with the class. But what I did like was my ability to follow the instructor and to develop this web page, I was actually blown away. And I had a lot of technical issues there as well. <laughs> so again, you know, that movement towards the future and how coding is the new language that children also need to learn. It certainly is the new world order. And so what's interesting is there was a resistance to working from home with 
my organization. Now, I was fortunate. I work in a unit where most of us worked from home at least two, three days a week. So when COVID did come, our unit was able to turn over a lot of our deliverables without feeling the impact, but it didn't come without growing pains throughout the division. And I would say throughout the organization and that we've been able to pivot and deliver virtual events that have been very successful. Charlotte, what's your your perspective on this? Yeah, so similar to you, Carolyn, my company, we well, at least my division, we were working remotely about three, two to three times a week. So we really didn't feel the impact in that way because we were already digital, especially because we had various locations as well. So usually a meeting was was never with people in one location. We had to do virtual uh, meetings. So we didn't feel the impact there, but definitely in other departments, you can see how much this has impacted them and they had to quickly shift and pivot and think of, um, you know, workarounds on, on how to do things. But it did, you know, you sit back, especially being in technology, you realize how much we rely on being um, on top of things when it comes to technology. A lot of, you know, companies, they have even, you know, systems that are a little bit dated. And, you know, COVID, something like this happens, and they can't even really rely on the technology that that they've been using for so long. So even with uh, my company, we've noticed that obviously we've felt the pain of our old or dated technology uh, and had to quickly, you know, being in project management, we had to quickly think of initiatives where we would upgrade our technology so that we can continue with our day-to-day. People that don't really see the need or uh, kind of um, brush technology or the evolving technology under the rug, I think definitely with this pandemic, this has become a reality and and a lot of uh, businesses and organizations have realized that, no, we need to make sure that we have uh, reliable systems. We need to make sure that we have things in place that are efficient so that if this does happen again or, you know, that we're equipped and we're able to deal with it quickly. Yeah, I I think I agree with with a lot of what you were saying. Yeah, because we have to be adaptable and quick with change and the show must go on, (laughs) you know. Let's go on. <laughs> now, both of you are very active or activists for the community, and you do a lot of work around around children. And I'm going to start with Shala. You have an e-commerce business, Kirby Goddess Fitness. Yes, that's right. What was the genesis behind this? Share that with us. Yeah, well, Curvy Goddess Fitness, that was, um, I launched that in November of 2019. And it, it really was based on a need that I had, really. I, I always used to wear waist trainers whenever I work out just to kind of help me slim down in the waist and, and give me back support. But I, I was looking for one that gave me the results that I wanted or, or was more comfortable. So there's certain things that I was looking for. I couldn't find it on the market. So I thought, you know what? I, I want to start a business anyways. It was always a thought of mine, but I couldn't really think of a product that I wanted to sell. Um, so I thought, why not start with my own need? And that's kind of how it developed. I, I just designed a product that would work for me. I tested it out and uh, then I just started selling it. I, I uh, developed a, a website on my own. I used my sister. My sister's really, she's in tech too, by the way. <laughs> so the whole tech family going on. Yeah, there's a lot of that going on. 
So I had my sister involved with that. And, and I just, I just quickly, you know, launched that I started off small, and, and it's been growing ever since. And then, you know, with everything happening in the world, I, I was really broken by that. Uh, to be honest, I was heartbroken. You know, there's many, many feelings, which I'm sure all of us had. And I just felt like I needed to do something. So I, I just used the platform that I have for Kirby Goddess and decided to sell t shirts. Black Lives Matter t-shirts, has the victims' names on the back. Um, and then I decided to sell that and then give all the proceeds to Black Lives Matters Toronto. So that's that's basically what I'm doing right now. You know, it's a start. I, I do want to do a little, I want to do more, but I just felt compelled to use my platform to do something. And and that's, that is definitely what I get from my mother. <laughs> I definitely get that trait from my mother, feeling compelled to do something um, when there's a problem. That's definitely from her. So I, I'm thinking thankful for that. <laughs> I love that. And I actually got a couple of the t-shirts from you, Sherla. One myself and I sent one to my sister as well. Beautiful t-shirt. And I love your act of philanthropy by donating the proceeds to Black Lives Matter. That's a very generous heart and a very generous spirit. And influenced, of course, by your mom need to do something because I feel like we've been a bit immobilized by all that has happened. And this gives you a, a space and a place, I would think, to feel active and engaged in, in, in trying to make a difference as well. Now, Christine, I read that you are a parent representative for We Rise Together program, which is in Peel. Can you share with us what that entails and what that organization is about? Every couple of months, um, we have additional meetings where we talk with parents, let them know about the program. We basically hold the school board accountable. And one of the, the key things that we've been able to influence, I don't know if you've been watching the news, but we've been in, been able to influence uh, some of the disruption that's happening in the school board when it came to the firing of the director of education. Yeah, so we were we were part we were somewhat involved. I don't want to get into the details, but uh, not that we asked for him to be fired per se, but we were stressing upon the part that there was a list of things that we wanted him to address, and they were not being addressed. There was a rumor that the We Rise Together program was just a a visionary program to make people think something was being done, but not with the committee that they had picked. We were not going to just sit there and, and be a name and not actually see some action. So another thing that we did, actually, we just got the announcement this morning was in regards to a meeting that we had about three weeks ago, where we sat down with the new interim director of education and with the at the the director of the SRO prog program, which is the system where they have police officers in the school system. And we sat down as parents and as advocates and said, we don't want this program in our schools. It's not helping. There's been a lot of arrests that have been happening that have been against black children. And, and we wanted to make a change. And today they announced that they are going to be suspending that program until they have further dis discussions with the community. So uh, we won another victory today, and I'm very, very excited to be a part of that We Rise Together program because we are actually seeing changes being done. 
And we also saw that we have another woman from our community that is now the interim director of education at the Peel District School Board. So again, a lot of traction there. And what I'm really happy about is the community is responding. I mean, the feedback is that this year we've been getting a lot of parents coming out to the school board meetings and where before we were absent, we didn't think we had a voice. So I have to also say hats off to the community members who've come out to these meetings. And even if you just come out and you don't say a word, but they just the visible minority is there in the room, it makes a big difference. So I I do want to say thank you to all the participants the advocates and the teachers, the educators that have really been pushing this forward because it's really about the future generation of our children. Like my daughter said, you know, like the future generation is is key, right? We need to make sure that they have the tools in place to be successful. Well, I'm really happy to see that because I have been keeping abreast of what's been going on in the Peel region. And I'm really glad to see that there's been action to speak to many of the concerns and issues that were going on at Peel education system. And very interesting, I actually did presentations at the Peel Board of Ed, I'd say 20 years ago. I was working for a community organization out in Mississauga, and they were having issues then. And fast forward, what, 20 years? And it seems that it had become even more impactful and negative towards Black students and students of color. So I take my hats off to all of the advocates, to all of the parents, to all of the advocate groups that said, we will not tolerate this, not in any way, shape, or form for our students, not for our Black students, not for our students of color. This is intolerable. And my son is grown and sexy now. He's an adult and I'm a grandmother now. (laughs) When my son was in school, one of the things I always went into his class in September and introduced myself and my husband at the time, uh, ex-husband now, but we were very clear with my son's teachers that if you had any issues with my son, we didn't want to read about it on the report card because by then it was going to be too late. That's awesome. And we really wanted the teachers to know that if they had any issues, we were open to communicate and to discuss because lots of young Black men are in school and it's like, the school pipeline to the prison pipeline, which is horrendous. And I really think it's important that parents recognize they play a very important role in their children's education. Yes, they do. You have to be visible and you have to let the teachers know that you're involved. I'll just quickly share another incident. When my son was getting ready to go to high school, I went to meet with the principal. He was, uh, he said, well, We've been looking at Matthew and we think that he should be going to Borden, which is a vocational school. And what is your feeling about that? And I just looked at him and I said, well, my feeling is is that Matthew's going to R.H. King Academy. He looked at me and he said, that's an academic school, you know. And I said, "Uh, yes, I know what it is. And I remember telling him, this is the reason my son's going to R.H. King Academy. His grandmother is smart. 
his grandfather is smart, so are his parents. So it's biologically determined that my child is smart. So he's going to R.H. King Academy. And so said, so done. <laughs> and I, I wanted to add to that. That's a very good point. And you made a very, very strategic move there. So few things, because I talk to a lot of parents, a few things. So number one, yes, parents need to be involved in their children's education. That is a no brainer. However, a lot of parents do not feel that if they go to the school, because we do have cases where parents have gone to the school and they did not get a good response. They got a response like what you did, but didn't know that they could actually challenge the teacher. So in our community, we have a lot of West Indian, I don't want to blame West Indians, I just want to kind of explain my point here. We have a lot of West Indian parents who do not understand the school system. So that's one of the biggest challenges is they they don't know that they can say what you just did. They can go in there and they can say, no, this is not what I want for my child. So that's our role as we rise together within our community is to educate our parents to say, you have a voice in your in your children's education. A lot of parents don't realize that they do have that voice. And another thing I wanted to comment on what you said is there is systemic racism. That's an example of systemic racism where they're automatically putting black children into special ed or they're basically downgrading them and saying that they're not smart enough. That is racism to the to the 10th degree, because what's happening there is They're not even challenging the child or they're not coming to the parent and saying, you know, we recognize maybe they're not doing very well in this class. Maybe they need additional tutoring. Maybe they just need additional help. Or maybe the where they're teaching the class is not something that the child can understand. So they're not doing that deep dive. And that's where us as a community We need to do that deep dive. We need to be able to say, why would you say this about the child? Let's see what's wrong before we just automatically put them into a bucket and assume that they're not going to be able to be successful at the academic level. So I'm I'm glad that you did that, that you challenged the teacher. But the problem is a lot of parents don't know that they can do that. So yeah, hopefully there's parents on here that know that they can actually reach out, get help and challenge the teacher because they are not, they do not have a right to predict the the future of your child, you as a parent have a right to challenge them. So thank you for that, Carolyn. Thank you, Christine. Now, Shirley, you have small children, and I wanted to ask, how does your role in terms of your professional life as working in technology and also your entrepreneurial life, working on your business, how does that making an impact on your children? Well, it's it's very busy in my house, that's for sure. It's very busy, but I, I try to do my best to get them involved wherever I can. So even with the t-shirts, they were very excited to help me with that. Um, and that was important to me that I was transparent about what was going on, even though they already knew because they, they have social media, they have ways of getting that information. But I like to get them involved and they, they help me with the t-shirts and the sale of the t-shirts and packaging it up and, and wherever I can get them involved because A, it's spending time with them, but B, it's it planting a seed as well. I want them to think outside of the box that there's things that are happening outside of our, you know, the safety of our house and that it's important to do the best that you can to help, to help our community, to help one another uh, wherever you can. So that's how I try to get them involved. And even with my business outside of the t-shirts, my daughter, my older daughter, she'll I'll get her involved with doing the inventory for me and criticizing my site. She loves to do that. 
Um, she, she likes to do that. So I get her involved in that. So I, I try to do the best that I can to get them involved because at the, at the end of the day, my time is limited with them because I'm so involved with everything right now. So that's kind of the way that I juggle or handle that. I kind of, I just want to comment on the education because I do have small kids. So everything that, you know, my mom's doing with Three Rise Together and with the school system is a huge, I see the impact because my kids are school age kids. I see the emails from the school boards with apologies. I've noticed, you know, I'm sure everyone has their experience, but I've noticed things even with my middle daughter. She's she's a genius. She's always reading at a level two grades higher than hers. So kindergarten, naturally, she was bored and caused a bit of trouble, but nothing outrageous, just a typical five-year-old. I could count like the amount of times that I was called in to go to the principal's office for my five-year-old who a kindergarten is brand new to any, any child in kindergarten at school is new for them. So that's a change altogether. And then B she wasn't being challenged enough and I'm being called down to the office and they're, they're already talking about what her future is going to be like her whole scholastic life. And, <laughs> and only because I, I knew better, I knew where the conversation was going and I was able to intercept in, in the best way that I could and to stand my ground and challenge them as well. I, I was in the principal's office with the principal, with the teacher and the, the assistant teacher. And, and I challenged them. I said, could it be that she's bored? Oh yeah, maybe it could be that. And and we just had this conversation, uh, you know, could it be this? Could it be that? And things changed, but they were talking about putting her in a special class and she's brilliant. She's brilliant. But I saw that they were trying to set a tone right there and, and maybe it wasn't intentional, but there was a tone that was going to be set there. And, and I refused to let that happen because I knew that she was beyond her years. And I knew that she's causing trouble for a reason because I know my daughter, but I also didn't, I wanted to make sure that systemic racism was not going on here. I wasn't able to confirm it, but I wanted to make sure that that wasn't happening. So I, I, sorry, I wanted to circle back to that conversation because as you guys were talking, I was thinking about my experiences and I just want to say with Rewise Together and every, all of these, these things that are happening to make the school system better, you have no idea how much it impacts, especially, you know, a woman like me that has four school-aged children, two black males and two black females. <laughs> and very important that they're successful at school, socially and with the academics. That's where you learn a lot. You learn a lot actually outside of the classroom and they pick up on these things. They pick up on every passive aggressive cue or, or things that their teachers say. And, and teachers have a lot of involvement with speaking future into them and, and determining how they're thinking about their future. So I try to have as much conversations with my kids as possible. But at the end of the day, they spend most of their time at school with their teachers. So I, I just want I wanted to touch on that because it's, it's a big impact on, in my family, for sure. It's important. And I know from my personal experience with my son in school, it's often even them not even say anything directly to the student or to your child, but it's also in the nuance of how they treat your child. And I said to somebody, I can remember the horrible teacher that every day when I went to pick up my son, she complained. And every day it was something negative about what he was doing and how he was doing. And her solution was to put him out in the hallway. And I ended up looking into changing schools for him. But there was a change in the principal's office. 
And the subsequent teachers he had maybe for grade three and four or five or six, I can't remember the order. She was so lovely and she made the hugest difference in the success of my son going forward. Can I remember the good teacher's name? Uh Uh-uh. But I can tell you that bad teacher's name all now. Some 20 years, no gone. (laughs) No, I I have... Sorry, I'll let you finish. I'm sorry. Oh, I'm done. Go ahead, Christine. I was going to say I I have many stories similar to what my daughter, Sharla, just mentioned, where there's a a behavioral issue and the the teacher does not want to deal with it. It's not even a behavioral issue. It's just the fact that the child is bored in the class and they never look at the teacher. They never say, maybe it's how you're teaching it. So what the pro- what we're seeing in the school system right now is that if your child, neither male or female, doesn't act quiet the entire time, they call that a behavioral issue. And that's really not realistic to expect a boy, first of all, to sit there and uh, not want to be stimulated in some way. They call that a behavioral issue. They're never looking at the teacher to say, what are you doing in order to make this class interactive? What are you doing to make sure that all levels of classroom, all the different skill levels are being uh, stimulated by what you're teaching them? So that's another thing that we're going to be addressing is the curriculum and making sure that it's inclusive. Right. So if we have our black children in a a classroom and you're only talking about white stories and white history and you're not bringing up anything that they can relate to. And and for the boys, if you're not doing some sort of fun activities, because boys do have a little bit more energy than girls do. And if you're not bringing that to the table and then you're now blaming the child because they're not engaged. To me, I push back and say, no, it's your responsibility as a teacher to make sure that these children are engaged. But don't assume that if they're not engaged, that it's a behavioral issue. What we need to teach our children is how do we look at a problem, sit down, talk about it, bring the parent in, have a discussion. Because in that dialogue, you're teaching the child how to resolve conflict, how to look at a situation and talk it out. If you take a child that's having a behavioral issue and you automatically kick them out of the classroom, you're teaching them that that's how you resolve an issue, by kicking the person out. And that's the problem that we're having, I'm seeing in the school system, that we need to resolve. We need to get back to the teachers actually teaching from a diversity standpoint, from a a dynamic standpoint, and bringing some of those issues to the table by having a dialogue, bringing in the parents. And do not, you do not have a a right to speak into the children's future. That is something that the parent is supposed to be doing. So hopefully, uh, yeah, hopefully we'll see some more changes moving forward. You know, my son, I went through the same thing with my son where I had to have a big battle with him when he went to high school where they wanted to put him in a special education class. And I said to them, I said, listen, what makes you think that he needs special ed? And they said, well, he has a poor memory. He's not remembering things. I said, listen, I said, my son can give you all the stats of all the basketball players in the basketball league, okay, in the NBA. So don't tell me that he doesn't have a good memory. There's something else wrong here. I said, you know, and they wouldn't let me take him out of the program. I said, you'll see in a year, you'll be taking him out. And sure enough, in a year, I got a letter saying that he doesn't need to be in the program. And that just goes to show you that we can't always take their opinion of our child at face value. So here we are. We're going to see changes. (laughs) Totally agree with you. 
We have to, and parents need to know that they are in a position of power. Maybe it's a cultural thing about, you know, the teacher and the status of being a teacher. It's tantamount that you are a part of your child's education. They spend far too much time in school with people who don't look like them often and often not hearing positive stories about themselves. And, you know, another piece I used to do, I used to go and do Black history presentations at my son's school. I would just volunteer. I'm coming in and this is what I'd like to do. So parents have the power. Parents have more power than they think they do. I actually had a principal at one of the schools tell me that. The parent has a lot more power than the principal. The principal, according to, I'm learning about the education system, but according to the way the education system set up, the principal cannot tell the teacher what to do in their classroom. However, a parent can. And a lot of people don't know that. They think that the principal is the boss, and that is not the way it's structured. So the principal cannot come down on a teacher about anything. But we as a parent can say, I want to see changes. You know, the curriculum, can you please have my more diversity? If you're going to pick three books for them to read from, can you please pick Black suggested books that was recently implemented by the We Rise Together program? But parents don't know that. Parents don't know that they have these rights. It's interesting because I did a chat with Dwayne Morgan, who is a spoken word poet. And he has a series that I think it's in Durham region about how he's overcome challenges in his life. And it's now a part of the program in Durham region. And because teacher saw his book, liked the book, advocated for the book to be a part of the curriculum and other schools in that region are also using that book as well. So parents, do what you gotta. Well, Christine and Sharla, one last question for you both. Someone listening to you out here, words of inspiration, words of motivation, what would you say to them, whether it's gonna be starting a business, whether it's getting involved in your child's school, whether it's being a volunteer in another capacity. Shalar, I'll start with you. Words of motivation, inspiration. Words of inspiration. Um, I would say that we always look for doors to be open for opportunities, but sometimes the doors, or I would say in most cases, the doors that are shut can also be an opportunity as well. And it ends up steering you in the direction that you need to be in. So stay positive. That's my words. Love that. Christine? I would say, uh, look for your passion. Both Charla and I said, we didn't know which direction we wanted to go in. And as far as our career, is it just kind of followed us. But look, find your passion, continue to be passionate about it, invest in yourself. Invest in yourself. In those times when you're alone, you know, you have some spare time, invest in yourself. Charla has done that as well, where she's investigated some other opportunities and she learned about it on her own time. And same with myself, learning about something new, about even the IT business, like doing some things in, in your spare time and, and always investing in knowledge and yourself and believing in yourself. That is definitely uh, number one. And surround yourself with people who, it helped to ignite that fire inside of you. 
to continue to motivate you as well. So oh, that's lovely. That's beautiful. Now, Charlotte, do you want to share your contact information with Curvy Girl Fitness? So I do have a website. It's www.curvygoddessfitness.com. I also have an Instagram page, so you can always you can DM me and I'll and I'll answer you directly. So the Instagram page is curvy goddess underscore fitness, and that's the the IG page. I'm on Facebook as well; it's the same tag name. That's fantastic. And Christine, do you want to share the information with We Rise Together program in Peel? Yes, I will. There is a We Rise Together Facebook page. Uh, for the parents. And if they can look for that, send a request in, I'll add them to the group. And that's where we communicate any sort of parent meetings that we're going to be having or any updates uh, from the school board or anything that people want to share. Right now, we're working on uh, a number of initiatives. So if you can join me there, that'd be great. I would appreciate it. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Christine and Sharla. Thank you for being a part of this legacy project of mine, the Urban Lifestyle Report. You are both beautiful, powerful, awesome women who exemplify Blacknificence and Black excellence. Appreciate you for all that you do and continue to do. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, Charlotte. Thank you, Christine. You guys are awesome. I'm your host, Carolyn Morris Walker, and I'm looking forward to sharing another episode with you with more Blacknificence and more Black excellence.